You're listening to the ASN Kidney News Podcast. In this episode, ASN Counselor Ronald Falk interviews Carrie Cavanaugh and Jamie Green on the topic of health literacy. Doctors Cavanaugh and Green discuss health literacy and the steps practicing nephrologists can take to ascertain and improve the literacy level of their patients. You can access the Health Literacy Toolkit at nchealthliteracy.org forward slash toolkit. Hello, this is Ron Falk for the American Society of Nephrology, and with me today are two experts in health literacy. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Carrie, let me start with you. Hello, this is uh, Carrie Cavanaugh, and I am an assistant professor of medicine at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, and I have a strong passion for identifying and developing ways in which we can ultimately communicate better with our patients with kidney disease. And also with us today is Jamie Green from Pittsburgh. Jamie? Yes, hi, this is Jamie Green. I am a junior researcher at the University of Pittsburgh, and I've been doing research for about two years in health literacy and really just trying to understand how health literacy impacts patients with end-stage renal disease. So what on earth is health literacy? Help me understand what that really means. Carrie, let's start with you. I think that's an excellent question. Um, It still is something that is in evolution in and of itself. It has had multiple definitions in both the research literature as well as the lay press. But really the core concepts of health literacy include skills that are needed to, for an individual to obtain, process, understand, and communicate specific health information. And at times it's been thought about as really the interaction among patients, providers, systems, and health environments. So wait a minute, wait a minute here now. <laughs> That's a large mouthful. It is. Is this, is this an effort for a provider to be able to interact with patient so that there is an understanding of cultural competence, of educational levels? Jamie, help me with what that all really means. The important thing to understand is it's not just literacy. The concept of health literacy is is different. So it's not just someone's ability to read, uh, but it's their ability to write, to to orally communicate, not just verbally, but to understand what a healthcare provider is saying to to a patient, um, and then navigation skills, how they navigate this complex healthcare system in order to be able to, to take care of themselves. So it affects things like being able to schedule an appointment, reading prescription bottles, understanding treatment regimens, figuring out your health insurance. All of those things are, are health literacy. Where does health literacy start and cultural competence begin? Often, uh, cultural competence, as you termed it, is included as a component of uh, literacy and health literacy. And so it's not that there's a definite beginning and end uh, between the two, no division between the two. And so that is something that is highly relevant and important as we talk about this broad concept. Does this really have its most practical component of written material, or does it include what a physician or other provider would say directly to a patient? So both, actually, both. So we really want to make 
make sure that the educational materials we give to our patients are easy to read and that they include lots of pictures and are available in multiple languages. Uh, but also in communicating with your patients, I, what's, what's recommended by most experts is just utilizing clear health communication strategies, so uh, using very plain language. Even so when how do you estimate this? I mean, so how would you not, if I may suggest, dumb down information for a patient who, while they may look gruff, has a Ph.D. in small particle physics? Yeah, so it's very interesting. The studies have shown that all patients really appreciate people using plain language, even physicians, because uh, it's very unlikely that the person that you're taking care of is in the same specialty that you are. So if you're taking care of an emergency room physician and they're seeing a nephrologist, even though they're familiar with a lot of medical terms, they still may not be familiar with what you utilize on a daily basis in nephrology in your, in your jargon. So, and, and you do have to tailor it a little bit to your patients, but in general, no one's offended if you say high blood pressure instead of hypertension. If you say I'm a kidney doctor instead of a nephrologist, it doesn't come across as being, as dumbing it down. I was just going to add to what you just uh, talked about, Jamie, in that it's, it's also important, especially when communicating orally, but also uh, with written materials, to not only acknowledge uh, cultural differences, but to get to Dr. Fogg's question, it's, a lot has to do with the respectful nature of the tone um, mm-hmm. that you're communicating the information with. And so always respecting the individual that you're or groups of individuals that you're interacting with can help to avoid that uh, perception of, of dumbing down the information. Mm-hmm. How did you get interested in health literacy? I got interested in health literacy actually when I was in my medical residency, and I had a patient who I just couldn't control his blood pressure. And everything that I did, it just seemed like wasn't working, and that could have just been challenging patient, but uh, I finally had him bring all his medications in, and this is also a recommended approach to dealing with low literacy, do what's called a brown bag medication review. But it wasn't until he brought all his medications with him that I realized that he couldn't read the prescription bottles (laughs) and was taking either old medications that I had discontinued, duplicate um, different doses of the same medication, and so um, that just really got me interested in, in the whole concept. And now I've come to realize, that, I mean, that was a that patient actually had very low literacy in general, not just low health literacy. Um, but that's what spurred my interest, and I've come to realize is that even patients patients of all educational backgrounds, it's really hard to tell by looking who has low health literacy. So uh, with that particular patient, what we were able to do was set up the pill boxes to help him take his medications, and, and it was very successful. And I think that there, that, that got me interested in finding ways to, to help my kidney patients in the same way. Jerry, what about you? Yeah, I, I came at it from a little less applied and a more narrow perspective, actually. Um, I come from a background of educators in my family rather than health professionals, so I've always been interested in how generally people learn about complicated chronic conditions. Um, but like many of us nephrologists, I also have a fancy for numbers. And um, so my actual primary original interest really was in numeracy or um, quantitative skills, again, another subcategory within literacy. 
and I had the luxury and the benefit of working with some colleagues here at Vanderbilt examining that issue within patients with diabetes and how that affected people's self-management and ultimately their diabetes care. And, um, you know, it makes perfect sense as a nephrologist with all the number information that we relay to our patients that this had a lot of potential applications. And so from that, my uh, interest in health literacy as a more broad concept certainly grew, but I still have that focus on numeracy as well. So, Gary, let me ask you before we delve into health literacy and kidney, what do you think about all the three-letter abbreviations that are running around out there? If you multiply 26 by 26 by 26 for a three-letter abbreviation, you have over 17,000 possibilities. Slowly turn over when when a three-letter abbreviation is provided for a patient? Yeah, I mean, that's just uh, more of the added complexity that the system and we as an entity impose upon our uh, care provision, I guess, as you'd call it. And um, absolutely, you know, certain uncommon terms and three letters are not often our friend when trying to execute plain communication with our patients. And so we have to remember that and um, in our individual interactions take time that's needed to explain particular abbreviations that may be common or that our patients may interact with and work hard to try and uh, always take it back to that plain language. How then as we move into thinking about health literacy and the kidney, what's so special about trying to apply health literacy concepts to the kidney patient space? Kidney patients are really just like other patients with chronic diseases, and and I think it goes back to the complexity of of their care. And if you figure most patients with low health or most patients with chronic kidney disease uh, have multiple other medical problems that make it very difficult for them to take all their medications. They're often on 10, 15 medications, especially with patients with end-stage renal disease. They have a lot of medications that they need to take, complex medication regimens, and just a lot of health information in general to understand many different doctor's appointments that they have to go to. And it's just challenging for them, I think, in order to to navigate and manage their, navigate the healthcare system and manage their care. And I agree that that is, it's often that kidney disease, um, in many cases, is on top of other other comorbid disease conditions, um, which certainly can add to the demands and the complexities for individuals and within a system. I'd also say that um, communicating about kidney disease and future consequences of having chronic kidney disease is a very abstract concept. Many patients are often without symptomatology um, that they can directly associate with their kidney disease, and so we as providers are often left with interpreting potentially laboratory excuse me, laboratory assessments for patients, but again, in relatively abstract terms. And so um, communicating that type of information is more challenging, um, not only to communicate, but also to receive that information and process that information and then figure out as the patient how to then, whether or not to adopt it, to trust it, to act on it, and what to do. And with that level of uncertainty, it has many direct applications for this broad concept of health literacy. Is that, though, different than any other patient with a chronic illness on multiple meds? In other words, are kidney patients unique in their health literacy needs? 
they're not that different. They have health demands as other people with complex chronic disease mm-hmm. have. Well, what do you think uremia or mental confusion as a consequence of whatever we're not excreting, what do you think that effect has on health literacy? Um, so we really don't know. Uh, it's, it's hard to sort that out, but I think we should just be aware that when we're dealing with patients who have uremia or we think may have some difficulty in, in mental processing, processing that that may uh, contribute to their difficulty in understanding their medical information and their care. So what grade level are you targeting information? What's recommended generally by various organizations is something in the neighborhood of a sixth grade or less reading level, maybe up to eighth grade. Again, how we even establish the reading level of the document is also probably another another long discussion over my two minutes. I have children. And I remember when they were in sixth grade, that level of comprehension is acceptable, but certain concepts are difficult to describe. Is health literacy a a problem across the country? Is health literacy of sixth grade something that you would apply to the typical family practice patient? Yes, the national estimate is uh, 30% of patients have limited health literacy. Uh, there are certain demographic groups that are at higher risk, and depending on where you practice, you may have a larger population of patients with low health literacy. Uh, the elderly, ethnic, and racial minorities, non-English speakers, they all uh, are at much higher risk for having low health literacy. But we do find when we do our, our research that patients not in those groups also are found to have low health literacy, and that is why it's it's generally recommended to just use a sort of what's described as a universal precautions approach so that you to treat all patients as if they could be at risk. But sixth grade is really a very low mark. Well, and that's that a reading that level. our education system <laughs> is really not providing normal literacy in its broadest sense? Yes, I do think that's true, and we... One of the risk factors is also education less than high school, but I think that it's not just level of high school, but those are just estimates of how far you went in school. That's just a a poor surrogate for the skills that you've achieved. I think going by grade level probably is is kind of difficult to use as a a target. What would you use instead? I've really tried to incorporate clear health communication to, with all my patients, and I do think they appreciate it, and I, I can go over some of that. But there are red flags that you can that some patients will manifest that may make you think that this person does have low literacy or low health wave literacy. The, Carrie and Jamie, wave those red flags for me. I'm sure. a practicing nephrologist. I want to know what my red flags for health literacy will be as I walk into clinic tomorrow morning. So a patient who... Often it doesn't seem like they're taking their medications correctly, so that would be a good time to have them bring them in and go over them with them, and you would be able to detect that. Patients who say that they forgot their, if you ask them to read something, they say, oh, I forgot my glasses. When you give them instructions, they say, um, oh, why don't you talk to my family about it or talk to my daughter or talk to someone else or I'm going to take this home with me and read it. Uh, rather than going over it in front of you. Those are those are um, the, the big ones that come to mind. Um, Carrie, I don't know if you have anything to add. 
one of the concerns with particularly a practicing clinician, whether or not to embark on some of the formal assessments of health literacy is really not advocated because there have been several studies, and I'm sure we anecdotally could confirm that there is a fair amount of shame, especially related to inability to read um, and interpret written information. Um, But there have been several short screening questions um, that have been developed, Um, three in particular. um, Ask questions like, how confident are you filling out medical forms by yourself? And patients can respond on a degree of their level of confidence. If they express not being confident, that is a, a relatively reliable quick assessment of challenges with processing health information. Um, And there's a fair amount of excitement about these particular questions, and they recently have been shown in heart failure patients to actually have predictive relationships with outcomes such as um, hospitalization and mortality. So I I only heard one question there. Can I hear the other? Can I hear all three in a row, please? (laughs) You have someone help you read hospital materials is, is one of them. And I think the other is... Those are two. How often do you have problems learning about your medical condition because of difficulty understanding written information? Uh, so yeah, it makes me feel slightly better because if it was whether or not I forgot my glasses, <laughs> I would be constantly uh, in the low reading group as well. I never yeah. can figure out where those things are. So let's hear those three again. Can you fill out your health forms by yourself? How confident? How confident How- are you filling out medical forms by yourself? How often do you have someone help you read hospital materials? And how often do you have problems learning about your medical condition because of difficulty understanding written information? And those were by, I think it's Lisa Chu, just to to give her credit. (laughs) And her Uh, How confident are you filling out forms by yourself, I think, is very easy to ask um, and was, I think, the most predictive of patients having a risk of low health literacy. So um, I do like that question. Yeah, and there is a lot of interest in these questions. Actually, health plans are asking them. Um, We have a large funded study here at Vanderbilt where all inpatients, uh, not all, but uh, cardiac inpatients as well as uh, a whole series of outpatients are routinely being administered this question, those questions instead of being asked. The old question was, uh, can you read, which, of course, was not as uh, uh, potentially as reliable because of the what we've already discussed. And so um, so I think for clinical applications, there, again, there's a lot of excitement about those. The, the measurement used in uh, research studies, those that both Jamie and I have performed as well as others, are not really practical for the uh, yeah. practicing clinician. Let's move to a question that pertains to our patient population who are on dialysis. As we all move to pay for performance efforts, all of which are in the new end-stage kidney disease quality incentive program. How will those pay for performance efforts interact with health literacy concerns? I think that's a very challenging question, and I'm not sure I know the answer to it yet. I have to say probably uh, overall I think that the, the paper performance efforts are going to force us to focus on quality of care uh, and that health literacy may be one aspect of that. Uh, and that addressing literacy, perhaps, and, and, I, and I do believe so, that uh, will help our patients uh, understand their information and improve their adherence with our treatments, and that that may help us meet our performance standards. So it's, I think it's good news for those of us who believe in uh, promoting health literacy. 
I agree. I think there will be um, efforts to try and develop both tools, whether they be um, materials to utilize in shared decision-making or to confer, again, information, knowledge, or uh, support for um, engaging with the healthcare system, um, whether that be for medication adherence or following up of recommended testing or um, assessments or following prescriptions, et cetera, that by uh, addressing health literacy, which is potentially a modifiable risk factor for poor outcome, may be an avenue that can capitalize on the multidisciplinary team, its various strengths, and be able to strengthen, again, the relationships between health providers and patients to ultimately improve quality. And my understanding of the QIP is that it will be much more broad than the uh, two basic measures that it, it currently entails. So we'll be eager for that, where we hope to uh, contribute to that in years to come. You have talked about issues pertaining to ethnicity and underrepresented minorities. How does an individual's ethnicity uh, pertain to an approach to health literacy? You know, health beliefs and cultural practices definitely affect how patients understand medical advice and make decisions regarding their health, which is uh, really what health literacy is all about. So I think it's very important for health professionals to learn about their patients' health beliefs and cultural practices uh, to avoid miscommunication about health information. How would you suggest the practitioner go about understanding that? cultural uh, difference. Yes. You know, the best way is actually just to ask. <laughs> uh, recommended is to just say, you know, I'm not familiar with your cultures and beliefs. Can you teach me uh, what I might need to know? Or I think what comes up a lot for me is that my patients with different cultural beliefs, their illness means something different to them. So saying, you know, how, what do you call your illness and what do you think caused your illness is very helpful or how they think it should be treated because it may be very different from what my culture beliefs or what medicine, allopathic medicine believes. Carrie, do you have other suggestions? No, I agree with that. Um, and also, uh, if you are to be using any kind of supplementary materials, again, whether they be for educational purposes or delivery of clinical recommendations, potentially test them within your, the variety of patients that you may care for to better understand uh, that often these need to be customized for that very reason to be engaged within people's specific um, cultural backgrounds and practices. Um, but that being said, the things that Jamie mentioned, I think, are so universal and maybe and not necessarily specific to any one ethnic group, um, that dialoguing with patients really is a two-way street and that having patients communicate back to you the information that you've uh, attempted to deliver to them, whether it be a formal, more formal teach-back type strategy um, or really just a conversation between the two so that you can have some some estimate of what you said was whether or not it was actually um, transferred to the patient. Um, and so talking, spending time and talking to our patients is, uh, again, at the core. That's what we're trying to do with health literacy. So for, for medical professions to provide help for their patients, are there generic tools? Are there kidney-specific ones? So there's a toolkit available. Uh, the Health Literacy Toolkit is available online, which was commissioned by the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, and that was actually developed at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, uh, and that is 
uh, I can give you the website if you want to include it on the podcast. I think you should. I think you should. Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's www.nchealthliteracy.org forward slash toolkit. Uh, and it's an excellent resource for healthcare providers and practices who are looking to try to address health literacy both personally and I think, and within their practices. It's really an excellent tool. It goes through all of the background about what health literacy is, who's at risk for low health literacy, and, and really what can providers do to address this with their patients. For additional thought-provoking, there is actually a, a national action plan that was released uh, earlier this past year that outlined a lot of these uh, issues broadly in the United States and beyond, not specific to the context of kidney disease, but um, illustrated and discussed many of the questions that you asked today. Which materials to use, um, again, come down to the probably the individual provider and setting, and there's nothing that, that I know of that compares, say, the effectiveness of any one versus another. And so it is um, something that we'll learn more about moving forward, what may be, um, again, the specifics of content, format, et cetera, that may have more efficacy versus others for certain groups. But at this time, we really don't know. Are there any other last-minute thoughts that you would provide our audience about health literacy that we haven't yet covered? Uh, I would probably just emphasize some of the, the communication strategies that you can incorporate in your daily practice, which I have found to be so easy and useful, but definitely require practice. So um, one thing is just encouraging questions using an open-ended approach <laughs> by saying, you know, what questions do you have? rather than do you have any questions. That alone is is so valuable and powerful uh, because when you just say, do you have any questions, most patients say no. But if you ask what questions they have, you're likely to get an answer. Uh, and then to reemphasize the, the teach back um, method, which is uh, just confirming understanding. I always ask my patients to repeat back uh, what I just told them to make sure that I've explained it clearly. Can you tell me how you're going to, to do what I just told you, or can you tell me how to take the new medication we talked about today? I think that's the only way to be sure that what we're communicating to our patients is actually conveyed in a meaningful way. That's excellent advice. And on that note, let's uh, conclude this podcast. Thank you very much for your time and all your wonderful insights. This is Ron Falk for the American Society of Nephrology. Thanks. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology. All rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. The information in this podcast should not be used during a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified health care provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Nephrology.